Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Metcast, the official podcast of Manchester Metropolitan University. In each episode, we bring you interviews, insights and inspiration from students, staff, alumni and the wider world and share some of our great stories that we've discovered from across the university. The podcast also supports Met Magazine, our online and print magazine for alumni, staff, students and friends, which is packed with news and features, think pieces, arts coverage, lifestyle articles and much more. You can find the very latest issue of Met Magazine on campus or head to mmu.ac.uk slash metmagazine where you can subscribe to the digital edition or check out the wider selection of podcasts, videos and articles online. In this episode, we're exploring the world of in vitro fertilization or IVF science, 40 years on from the birth of the very first baby born through IVF right here in Greater Manchester at Oldham General Hospital where the technique was mastered. Today, our region is still a leader in reproductive science with a particular strength in IVF, and our university is an official NHS partner in training the UK's reproductive scientists. This means every new IVF scientist who helps start a pregnancy through IVF is a graduate of our university, helping would-be parents from all over the country achieve their dream of having a family of their own. A little later on, we'll be hearing from one of those families who've benefited from that expertise, who've been able to bring not one but two children into the world thanks to that programme, and are now working to raise awareness of the great work clinical embryologists do as part of this delicate process. But first, we're going to hear from two of the academics behind Manchester Metropolitan University's unique IVF training offer, Professor Daniel Bryson, clinical lead for the MSc and scientific director in the Department of Reproductive Medicine at St. Mary's Hospital in Manchester, who talks initially about the region's history of reproductive science. He's then joined by Dr. Michael Carroll, who's our senior lecturer in reproductive science at the university, who leads the programme and works closely with Professor Bryson and the Manchester University Foundation Trust on delivering the programme. I think the Greater Manchester region has a claim to be the world centre of reproductive medicine. So a guy called Walter Heap used to work here in the late 19th century, and he was the first person to do embryo transfers in animals using rabbits. And about 100 years later, Steptoe and Edwards collaborated together in the Greater Manchester region, actually in Oldham. And the embryology work that gave rise to the first test tube baby, Louise Brown, in 1978, was done entirely at Dr. Kershaw's Cottage Hospital in Royton, in Greater Manchester. So that's where the first IVF baby was born in 1978. Steptoe was a gynaecologist up here. He was a kind of a pioneer in laparoscopy. And his partnership with um, Robert Edwards, who was the cell biologist, a reproductive physiologist, the marriage between those two um, really made IVF the reality as it is today. Following on from that, only five years later, uh, Professor Brian Lieberman set up the first NHS-funded IVF clinic in the UK, here in Manchester, at St Mary's Hospital. And that remains the longest established NHS IVF treatment centre. And so I'm really pleased that we've been able to continue that good work by training the next generation of embryologists here in Manchester through the collaboration with MMU. So I think, you know, the UK has, at the moment, the best embryology training in the world, and that's down to the programme here. We have a close um, relationship with the NHS, in particular with St Mary's uh, Department of Reproductive Medicine at St Mary's, where a lot of the, um, the principal embryologists there um, deliver on the programme as well and help out with the running of the programme. The scientist's training programme for embryology is, um, is quite a, a rigorous programme to, for, for trainees to get on. They have to interview through the NHS, and there's a ratio of something like for 300 applicants to for seven places, uh, direct entry places. So it's quite, quite competitive. 
when they um, recruited to the NHS, then they enrolled on a master's programme. So the scientist tra- training programme have two elements, the clinical training and the academic component. The academic component is delivered through Manchester Med. Um, I'm the course director of that, and Professor Bryson is the clinical director uh, of that programme. So we, they, it's a three-year programme, part-time. They arrive um, around this time of the year, and then it's kind of a block delivery of teaching, and then they go back to the clinic in between the teaching for their clinical training, which is a mixture of lectures, tutorials, student-led teaching, problem-based learning. So a lot of, a, a lot of um, kind of educational package that kind of marries into the clinical training. All the clinical science training courses here have an NHS connection. So in the case of reproductive sciences, that's through me at St. Mary's Hospital, where myself and a number of embryologists teach on the course, and also make a connection between clinical practice, which takes place in the NHS, and the academic content of the course. One of the unique parts of the, the master's degree programme is, is the people that deliver on the programme. These are experts from all over the country, all over the UK, um, eminent scientists, clinicians, doctors, who deliver all aspects of infertility, from basic cell biology of reproduction to um, clinical gynaecology, andrology, and, and kind of a, a reproductive surgery techniques. And with that, we're able to um, deliver a multitude of um, scientist training programme-associated master's degrees um, in all aspects of clinical science, from blood sciences, reconstructive science, um, cellular science, which includes histopathology and reproductive science, and, um, and reconstructive, reconstructive science as well. I met Michael a good number of years ago, so he had a lot of postdoctoral experience in this area. Then he trained as an embryologist and then moved from St. Mary's to MMU. And shortly after that time, we decided to set up a program in embryology training. And actually, Michael was the ideal person to lead that. And because he knew me, had worked with me previously, he asked me to be clinical lead for the program. And what that means is I try and interface between the academic program here with Michael, who knows a lot about the clinical work already, having worked in the field. But I try and make a connection between the academic program and the IVF training centers, of which St. Mary's is one. So we have each year two or three trainees based at St. Mary's who are on the course here. So I will supervise them at St. Mary's or supervise their research programs, but then I also come and teach here. And then I also just make suggestions to Michael about external lecturers to recruit for the course, that type of thing. One of the things that are coming to the forefront now recently is um, male factor infertility. And there's a decrease in sperm quality and the number of sperm that are produced for males. And this is mostly associated with lifestyle and environmental factors. And this has come to light in the last couple of years. Um, it's been touched upon since the 1990s that uh, there's a massive decrease in, in male fertility and sperm quality, but it's, it's becoming more, um, more prevalent now. Also, um, the latest uh, statistics from the HFEA, the Human Fertilisation Embryology Authority, have shown that 37% of infertility is, is caused by a male factor infertility. So it's recognising that, that infertility is, a, is a, a problem of both males and females. Currently, one in seven couples seek fertility treatment in the UK, and the majority of those will go on to have IVF treatment uh, to solve their fertility. So to date, um, several million babies have been born around the world, 1.3 million in the UK, and now 2% of all live births in the UK come from ART. So it's a major industry. At the moment, we conduct about 60,000 treatment cycles of IVF per year, and the major rate-limiting step is the success rate. So only about one in three cycles yield a live baby. That's probably to do with factors outside of our control, like the age of women who come for fertility treatment, which is steadily increasing, 
uh, average age of first babies in women now is over the age of 30, and also the fact that male sperm counts have declined by up to 50% over the last 50 years in the Western world. Over the past number of years, I was able to gather many um, experts in the field, both nationally and internationally, to contribute chapters to a textbook which covers all aspects of, of um, reproductive biology, basic reproductive biology, and also um, uh, causes of infertility and assisted reproductive technologies, what, what we can do when it goes wrong. The only programme, official programme, to train clinical embryologists and andrologists now, these are the clinical scientists who work on male fertility, is through the scientist training programme. And what makes Manchester the, the kind of a hub of this is that we are the only university to deliver this master's degree programme. The clinical training is done throughout the UK with different clinics, but they all come to Manchester to, um, for the educational part of the delivery. And they mix with each other as well. They've got STP trainees from all over the country coming together to, um, you know, to, to, to build their educational experience, but also mix and, and develop, develop as young scientists themselves. Now, the number of people requesting fertility treatment is increasing year on year, both in the UK and around the world. Uh, largely due to increasing female age, so women are delaying uh, childbearing until later in life, and also because male sperm count or male fertility in general is declining, and the incidence of testicular cancer is is increasing, and that's probably an environmental cause. So we're worried now that exposure to artificial estrogens in the environment, or plastics, bisphenol A, for example, is driving a decline in human fertility globally. That's a major area of concern. Reproductive science is vitally important because we're products of reproduction. We're products of the union of, of two small cells, the, the egg and the sperm. And when that goes wrong, that's when infertility um, arises. And infertility is, is a disease of the reproductive system. And why it's important is because it's... As with any other biological process or physiological process that's perturbed through any pathology, um, it's, it warrants treatment, clinical treatment. And infertility is part of that as well. And what IVF does, it, it gives, an, it gives a, a, an option or a, an opportunity for infertile couples to have what's really a, a, a privilege, which is to have a, have a baby of their own, a biological child. IVF offers that. Professor Daniel Bryson and Dr Michael Carroll on Manchester Metropolitan University's IVF training programme. Of course, it's all very well us talking about IVF from an academic perspective, but to get a real insight into the impact of this science and the effect it actually has, you have to speak to those on the receiving end. Chris Morris recently caught up with Charlie Ingram, who, with his wife Paula Breeze, opted to undergo IVF treatment. So you're a father of... Four children. Four children, yeah. I've got four kids, and I had two kids from a previous relationship, and my family was done, and I had a vasectomy. Yeah. But things don't pan out as you expect. Mm. Uh, and then I met my my current wife, Paula, and she was very desperate for children, uh, in particular two children, very specific two children. But it was always a thorn in the side in that we'd have to go through some process. I had a reversal, hoping that would be enough of a, a boost to sure. uh, trigger it, but it wasn't going to. It didn't work. Yeah. And then we were in this position where, okay, so the relationship ended. So we've been through a cycle of in a very serious relationship that actually ended as a result of childlessness, in effect, for us us as a couple. A couple of years later, we carried on seeing each other. There was certainly that connection, and we needed to um, try at least. So we um, got some money together, and we started the process of IVF. Went via MRI initially. We weren't eligible for NHS Mm. IVF Mm. because I had children. Oh, okay. How mad is that? Yeah. 
Paul, I didn't. Yeah. But because I had. Yeah. There's certain criteria. Y- you, you're not yeah. a couple childless. Um, so we, we we weren't able to do that, so we had to pay privately, and we um, set about looking for the, the best provision. I mean, at this time, you don't know how embryologists are trained or anything like that. Mm. You don't know the connection to Manchester Metropolitan University, but it's certainly there. And we went to Care Manchester, which is in Russia, just south of Russia, a hospital there, and we started the process. It was um, it was that that hospital we first met an embryologist. We were quite hopeful and optimistic because there isn't actually fundamentally anything particularly wrong with either of us. It was just the fact that I think you could call it a plumbing issue. Uh, An IVF or ICSI was the solution. So it was about uh, taking sperm out directly and and IVF was then the technique to meet it with the egg. And uh, it it worked first time. We had two embryos, well, we had a number of embryos, and as over the weeks go on, you, you, they drop off naturally. It's a natural progress of pregnancy anyway, apparently, because you do fertilise a lot of eggs. But the, the concept of this embryologist who was suddenly introduced to us quite late in the process was so then so important to us, as actually you're, you're looking after the most important thing that we've strived for and not forgetting the journey you go on. Sure. Years and years before, sure, sure. You know, we wish, we hope for, we can't. It wrecks a relationship. You get back together. You hope, you dream, and then all of a sudden, it's in the hands of one person who's a scientist, sure. and she has twelve of your little treasures, yeah. and you, you want them, you want them all to survive, and then she's the one that tells you the the, the quality of them, the grades, uh, and then if there's anything left that can be implanted at the end, we were very lucky. There was. And they were good quality, and, they, and we had two implanted and two twins nine months later. Edward and Louisa, yep. it's their birth, their sixth birthday Everyone. coming up, yeah. and they were born exactly the same weight, yeah. which is unusual for twins apparently. And they've thrived ever since. There's been no, no issues at all with their health. The idea of having twins is a bit risky anyway, but yeah, so they've, they're still, still doing well and. Uh, Last time we talked to embryologists at Manchester Met, we um, told our story, and we don't tell the outcome until the end, yeah. and they walk in. Oh, brilliant, yeah. And just so that they get a sense of actually, you live in a world of laboratories, of numbers, data, and very, very small cells, you know, but actually the value of that, the importance of it, is that it, the impact is so huge. Yeah. You, you're, you're magicians, really, for, sure. for families who alternatively have such challenges. You know, mental health issues can be a part of that. They, they can, you know, relationship breakdown, the cost of all of that, the cost of that on other children, the cost of that emotionally, the, the cost on individuals where they lose hope and faith. And actually, you've got this scientist suddenly pops in and goes, actually, I can help and I can do this. And here's, here's, here's your two wonderful children. So that whole journey, 40 years ago, and, and that first IVF baby, it doesn't seem that long ago, yeah. and now it's caught, it's like regular, yeah. isn't it? There's yeah. lots of people who go through IVF. Yeah. To imagine all of those people who would have alternatively followed a childless route, sure. it's enormous. The impact it's had is enormous. So exponentially, all of those scientists that come through the university who have that experience and that science knowledge that's impaired and the detail and the biological stuff and all of that, sure. they do their magic and then the impact that they don't necessarily see yeah. 
is enormous. Sure. I, 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 it would be interesting to know the numbers yeah. of kids out there now, I'm sure. Uh, millions, I understand it from uh, millions. from uh, Michael, millions. Yeah, Michael Carroll. Um, so yeah. when you, you come to visit uh, as part of the, the STP course here at Manchester yeah. Metropolitan, you you and, and your wife come and show the human impact. Is that is that important to you? I think it's about letting embryologists know that prior to them meeting that individual, there's been a long journey of usually people who've tried to have children for many years, mm. who've had who become hopeless mm. and are feeling quite low mm. and traumatised as a result of having to go through a process in the first mm. place. There's a financial burden, so it's extremely important. People are looking for a good quality service because mm. for most people who are paying anyway, sorry, yeah. NHS, it's very 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 across the country what people are entitled to, of course. It's that it's that human journey, that human aspect of everything that goes before, uh, and that a, a lot hangs on, you know, the science that can lead to solving, so overcoming something that families have, have struggled with, and then they won't necessarily see the outcome. That's what's what we're trying to to, sure. uh, and also to try and let them think from a professional perspective as a nurse. I'm a nurse as well. They they. Um, you you really you really know that that um, hearing the patient perspective about what could improve the th- this, the the journey, and I th- I've always said I think we would have benefited from understanding the process more, uh, not being uh, in a in a manner that's not shocking or frightening, sure. but to meet embryologists earlier on because they're they're the they're the scientists that make it happen. Yeah. What you feel like you experience is a more hospital-type medical model, yeah. whether whether the consultant is the, the the person. Actually, all they do is advise, consult, and then actually insert the the end product. But the, all the magic in the middle is yeah. done by embryologists. Yeah. So I think it's that perception, changing that perception, the value of them. I think yeah. we would like to do. Yeah. And, and what's been your experience of, of meeting them when you've come in here? And right, I find they're lo- lovely people and, and they value understanding the story. They don't necessarily hear it. They will come in um, to a, a clinic one day. They will see a patient record which will have certain features on it. It will all be the health of that person. So I'd be, for example, a 43-year-old male, vasectomy, failed reversal, but they won't know about me. Mm. They won't hear about me. Mm. I think they understand people have histories, but they don't see that side of it. Mm. So it's just to sort of make people aware that that is a very factual summary of the health of somebody, but for the purpose of what they need to achieve. Mm. But that is a, there's a whole host more, and they need to understand the importance of all of that. They 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 genuinely seem to appreciate the fact that we we want to share the that experience. And, and come up to the sixth birthday for the twins. How do they understand how they they came to be? That's alive? a good question. Yeah. Um, we have broached the subject briefly, but I think they're a bit young to yeah. understand yeah. the concept. You know, they know they're very special, but I think all kids do. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope. Um, I think it would be interesting to um, talk to them when they're a bit more able to understand. Yeah. So you say your what what role in the NHS do you do you do? I'm an NHS role? manager. Yeah. I work in mental health services, mental health and learning disability yeah. services, and I'm um, very interested in in uh, talking more about the impact of childlessness on uh, mental health, mm. both for men and women, but mm. uh, with a focus on men at the moment. Mm. 
So we've talked uh, we've talked about whether we need to do a bit of research into that area mm. to understand the journey men follow. Mm. We don't necessarily talk about mm. talk about it. And I hope that our connections with Manchester Metropolitan University, you know, will only add to that journey for others. You know, we're going to try try to keep. Um, adjusting what we're talking about based on what's about of value to, to students who are coming through. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of Manchester Metropolitan University's Metcast. As mentioned earlier in the show, you can explore the stories in this or previous shows by visiting mmu.ac.uk slash metmagazine, where you'll also be able to read the magazine in full and explore videos, podcasts, articles and much more. Your feedback is always welcome, as are much-needed reviews and ratings on iTunes, so if you have a moment, please head there and let us know what you think. Alternatively, if you'd like to contact us, or if you feel you've got a story we should be covering here, please get in touch with us via content at mmu.ac.uk. That's all for this episode, though. I've been Noel Meller. We'll see you next time.